Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and I'm a Kaladeshi mountain. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I'm an island from Zendikar. And I'm Brian Dawes, and I'm a Lanoir forest. The first thing we want to talk about are the Magic Fest basic lands, which are gorgeous, and they're each associated with a plane, and apparently a story moment. The first one is a plains from Kaladesh. In the sky, though, those clouds aren't just a swirl. They're two concentric circles. Man, I wonder what from Kaladesh might have looked a little bit like that. Gremlin eyes. The Aether Boom! <laughs> nah, it's the Planar Bridge. So these are really great because they each have a symbolic story moment from that plane, from this whole Nicobolus arc. The Dominaria Mountain, for instance, has a Thran ruin with Liliana's tattoos on them. The Ixalan Island has a rock formation that looks suspiciously like the Immortal Sun sunk down into the water. Also has the glowing gold veins of Araska. The swamp from Amonkhet is a little bit easier because it's just the second sun's dawn. You only see the one sun right in between Nicobolus's horns. And then the Ravnica one has a interesting feature that may or may not turn out to be something. I don't know. There's a little swirl, kind of dead center, a little bit near the top in the background, which looks like it might be some kind of portal maybe opening up. Who knows? But everything's fine. Everything's safe. Nothing to worry about. Oh my gosh, Letter Pressure for your lies! Ah! We're also getting our first Texas promo for the first time in years and years and years since the Magic Player's reward program ended. The 2019 Magic Fest promo is a textless lightning bolt with art by Kikai Kotaki with a mage up in the air calling down a blast of lightning that is just electrocuting and incinerating a minotaur on the ground. So it's pretty cool if you are into textless promos and full art cards. The Lightning Bolt will be available in foil and non-foil. It's cool stuff. So the next thing we want to talk about is Chandra number one. We realized this past week that the original art we saw for Chandra, which was very angry, kind of a frown, displeased face, has been changed. And it was changed several months ago. So the original art was changed a little bit and made Chandra smiling. I don't particularly like this change because it's out of <sighs> character one and two. It's making a female character smile more. You should smile more. Which is just icky on its face, and it's a problem in comics right now. It's a problem everywhere, Jay. Well, that's true, but in comics specifically. <laughs> like Marvel and uh, Marvel's characters, the female characters having to smile while the male characters look serious all the time. Well, I mean, the male characters have to be serious. They're secret Nazis. Oh, thanks, Cap. Ne never going to let Marvel live that one down. And nor should you. Especially because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did a similar storyline at the same time and made it very clear that Nazis were evil. And this week we also got a six-page preview of the Chandra number one over on the Magic main site on Daily MTG. Look at that. They promoted the comic like we've been asking them to do because they haven't done a great job of that in the past. So that was really great to see. 
and we got the first six pages of the first issue, and it's Chandra on Dominaria fighting some Thalids, protecting some villagers, kind of introducing herself and what being a planeswalker is. Because remember, this is an IDW comic that is going to be on sale in comic shops and game stores and online, and you don't necessarily have to know magic to get into it. So they do some of the quick explanation of what the multiverse is like and how planeswalkers work and what the rules for this fantasy IP are going to be. But it seems pretty cool so far. And the comic itself will be out this week, the 12th, in stores and online. The last piece of news we wanted to talk about this week is the Magic Story site has been updated to be much, much more useful. So if you remember way back when Carrie had a bookcase fall on them and they died, uh, that's what happened. Wait, that's what happened? Yeah. You told me Carrie was going off to live on a farm with all the other sick Carries. Oh, oh, geez, Lorelai. Oh, oh, no, I mean, they did. They did. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> They're on a troll farm upstate. <laughs> During that episode, we talked about a lot of actionable items that wizards could take to make the story experience more friendly for people. Things like putting the date on the widget, which they did, or making the story site more accessible, which they did. At the time, it took, like, over 30 clicks to get to Magic Origins because it wasn't listed on the widget. Now, everything going back to Cons of Tarkir, and including some stories that were off-cycle, but important, like Drop by Drop, are all included in there. There's one or two things that don't quite line up, and like Project Lightning Bug needs to get it added in there, but it is a major upgrade from the old version of the site, and the way they have it set up now, it should be easy enough to add stories and frames as they need to going forward. Fam, it's so nice. It is really nice. Like, we'll call things out when things aren't great, but we will heap on praise when things are done well. And I think the biggest and most important part for the new Magic Story site is that when you click on Story, it takes you to a single page. You don't have to navigate any sub-pages or click through a series of links to get to things. Everything is blocked off with an image that pulls up loading menus instead of taking you to a different page. So you can access all the web fiction from Origins Forward from one single story page. From Tarkir Forward, yeah. From Tarkir Forward, yes. That's amazing. Yeah, and there's a data bank at the bottom that you can click on characters and worlds to divide it, kind of like how it had earlier. And yes. you click on Ajani, you know, you're going to go to the Ajani page you used to go to, but you don't have to navigate through three different pages that may or may not be up to date. It definitely lets you choose the way you want to engage in the magic story. If you're more interested in a specific world, it lets you choose there. Or if you're interested in a specific planeswalker, it lets you pick that and it links you to all these stories that that Planeswalker is, or is um, involved in. So it's really nice, and it, it lets someone immerse themselves in the story however they want to start. It's so clean. It's so easy to use. Thank you so much, Daily MTG web team, whoever works on it, because this is really nice. And like Jay mentioned, it's going to be really easy to update with web fiction moving forward and keep it all organized. It's a huge step, and 
I think I can speak for a lot of Vorthoses when I say, like, we really appreciate that time and effort was put into making that page on the website better. Because now when someone says, I want to get into Magic Story, where should I start? I can link them to the main Magic site for Story and say, hey, look, start here and just read chronologically up the list. And it's that easy. That's what we needed. Like, I'm so happy about this. In the same week that the comic actually got promoted on the main site. It's exciting. What we'll have to see is if things like the comic show up on this page in the future. My hope is that they do. It should be pretty easy to create like a Chandra tab, but we'll have to see. Or at least a link to where they can buy the comic. Yeah, that would be nice. It's a little trickier because it's a third-party product. There's some distribution stuff where it might not be possible for Wizards to just link to like the Comixology download thing for it. That might be tied up in more legal stuff. But, like, this is great. It's a good time to be a Vorthos. Some of these these links under the Planeswalker profiles, like Karns goes back to uh, an Arcana article from 2011 where it breaks down the long life of Karns. It's like, it's giving you as many links as you can about that Planeswalker specifically, so it's really nice. All right, so let's move on to our feature for the week, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Overall, I really like this book. This is the kind of D&D book I've been looking for for a while. It's a bestseller. It is proof that that attitude that you can't cross the streams of magic and D&D that used to keep things like this from happening is gone, and it's good that it's gone because this is a lot of fun. And I think people can keep it in their heads that, you know, this is not, you know, your party isn't going to affect the story on Ravnica in the cards, but it's fun to be able to play around in the world and have this whole fully fleshed out world translated for D&D. I've been playing around with thoughts of how to make this tie into the actual story, and there are ways you can do it. I mean, you're not going to be at the super high level affecting everything, but there are little things that you can put your, put your, your players into. And they frame this in a way to where it gives you some detail about the world itself to where you could put your characters in places where they hypothetically could have had some kind of impact on what was going on. Like, they could have been an interruption. They could have, like, walked in on the the maze run or something like that. I really like the amount of detail that they give you on the world. And I also loved the portions of the book that were about running a story or how to hook um, your characters into the story that you're trying to create, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I I really enjoyed the book thus far. Let's go through it section by section. The beginning, Welcome to Ravnica, I really liked. It starts off with a letter from Lavinia to Jace, talking about his responsibilities as the Guild Pact, and then there's a little note on the side there from Jace saying, yeah, I'll get right, right to this, right when I get back. It really sets the tone for the whole absentee Guild Pact era of this book. I enjoy a good joke, and that was a good joke. What else it does is it gives us the date for Return to Ravnica, which is 1075 ZC, ZC being Zal Concordant, or years after the Guild Pact. Not 1075, 10,075. Yeah, okay. (laughs) They have one more digit than we do. 10,076 is the modern day in this story. Now, we know because of Krenko's way, we know that this takes place after Limits, 
which is a story that was leading up to Battle for Zendikar, because Gideon had arrested Krenko in that story, and Krenko's Way, the intro adventure, takes place after that. But Vraska is not yet the guildmaster of the Golgari, so it takes place before Guilds of Ravnica, and probably before the end of Rivals of Ixalan, where Gerard was captured. It also gives us the months of the year, so Word of God, way back when, may not even be Word of God, I'd have to double check, but the common belief was that there were only 10 months on Ravnica, and the books kept presenting more months than that. That couldn't possibly be the case. So we finally got all of the months of Ravnica in one place. They match up to what's in the book. Ravnica starts on the equivalent of the real world's March, with the month for Selesnya, and then continues all the way through what would be our February with Zune. So I thought that was very cool that they actually laid out all of those months for everyone, because that was a, a major flavorful bit of every chapter leading in to the original Ravnica novels, there would be like, I forget what you call them, the little vignette before the actual chapter starts, but they'd frequently be dated with, you know, the month, day, and year of whatever that quote or whatever was from. Yeah, and it's a good tool if you're going to run, for example, an ongoing campaign on Ravnica, knowing the months of the year, and they label a few holidays on there too. So, being able to organize everything in that kind of temporal way lets you run campaigns potentially for years in real world time and in game time and be able to coordinate all kinds of stuff with that. And because Ravnica is a temperate climate, the calendar will also tell you what the weather will be like throughout the year. It also breaks down a neat bit of lore, which I think we talked about a little bit already, so I'm not going to go into detail on it here, but the Azorius, Boros, and Orzhov all mint coins, and it's very interesting which coins they mint. The Azorius mints basically all the small coins, with the exception of the smallest coin, the Copper Zib, the Orzhov also create a Copper Alms coin, but then the Orzhov don't mint anything again until, like, the highest tier of coins. It's, it's a neat bit of flavor that the Orzhov don't care about those piddling mini coins. They want the alms coins for their churches, and then they want the real money for them. Well, and it's very deliberate for the Orzhov to mint coins in this way because it helps keep the poor people poorer because it takes them so much more space and weight for an equivalent amount of currency compared to the higher mint coins that are with the Orshav elite. So the poor people serving the Orshav literally just cannot physically amass enough wealth to climb out of poverty. It's very insidious. Very Orshav. <laughs> they are the worst kind of capitalists engineering even the currency to establish their chokehold on power and finances like it's gross and disgusting and the orchov should all die it's perfectly flavorful before we move on to the character creation part of this book i should mention for those of you who are DD newbies that this book alone isn't going to let you create a character or run a game if you want to play a game you're also going to need the player's handbook which goes in depth into the classes of ravnica 
So the races section here in character creation is interesting. I like that there's a questionnaire on what's important to me, leading you to the different guilds. It's not as detailed as I would like, but it's, it's cute. They also introduce a bunch of new uh, races and also breaks down what kind of elf each of the known elves of Ravnica are. So the Simic elves are the high elves, the Silhana elves, which are usually either guildless or Selesnia, are the wood elves, and the dark elves are the Devkarn. They're not drow, they're Devkarn. Which is appropriate, because the Undercity is kind of like the Underdark. Yeah. We got a reprint in the original Ravnica Black of Elves of Deep Shadow, a mana dork that taps to make black mana, so them being the dark elves is pretty obvious. That really made me chuckle a, bit, a little bit when I saw it, because... Uh... It makes a whole lot of sense, and it would, it wasn't something that I would have given a lot of thought to had they not brought it up, and it was like, that that's a really nice touch, so I, I really like that. My assumption is when the original Ravnica block was built, they had the different kinds of elves in mind from D&D. These are the same kinds of people making both games, so that there was that kind of split isn't surprising. They're also just kind of like the archetypes of elves in your fantasy setting so it's not really that hard to translate between D&D and magic because it's pretty archetypal for elves. Yeah, that too. Going from there, they also uh, introduce the Minotaurs and they talk a little bit about their backgrounds and their family histories. They make it very plain that while there are two major lines of Minotaurs that are both associated with different guilds, the Odrun were the Boros. Yeah, the Odrun were the Boros. I couldn't remember what the, uh, what was it, the Rakdos ones? They're Gruul ones. But basically, they have the two different lines, one of which is mainly in the Boros and goes on for generations. And they don't particularly use the same naming conventions that we would use, whereas a Boros Spinatar would not necessarily say that he was from the Odrun clan or lineage because there are so many other minotaurs of that line that it wouldn't make any sense for them to all use that and they tend to recycle first names fairly often because they tend to name themselves after uh ancestors that have recently passed almost every minotaur name is drawn from a long list of minor characters of legend so like you you i would be willing to bet that it wouldn't be very hard to have multiple Minotaurs of the same name in your family. Yeah, that was a neat little detail. For all the new species they introduce, they have a bunch of sample names, if you just want to borrow one of those to name your characters. And a lot of them are actually names that have appeared for minor characters in Magic Story. For example, one of the Vidalcan suggested names for male Vidalcan is Cavan which is the Vidalcan who was helping Jace in The Secretist and didn't make it out alive. So you can have his name now if you want. <laughs> so if if you are like really into Ravnica's stories over the past couple years, you might see some familiar names in there, and there's a lot of neat little Easter eggs. So moving on to the next section, they kind of give a history of Ravnica and explain what the world is like. So if you're coming from D&D, this is the basic, here is everything Ravnica is about, here are the things that are important, here are, 
you know, the major figures in this world. And if you're coming from magic into D&D, this is the familiar scaffolding for which to build an adventure. So they give an abridged version of Ravnica's history, which we also did on this podcast, so go listen to those episodes. Though they don't go into so much detail about some of the more confusing stuff, like the fact that the entire Simic Combine has changed, or that the Demir used to be totally hidden from society. Because that's not super relevant to modern Ravnica, and is just kind of confusing details if you are not familiar with magic history. We got a lot of interesting things. We're not 100% sure everything in here is totally canon with magic. That's been kind of the, we're going to take stuff with a grain of salt until we get the Art of Magic, the Gathering Ravnica in January. But my assumption is most of the stuff in the Guildmaster's Guide is taken right out of the Ravnica World Guide. So we'll talk about it as if it's true and amend some stuff next year if we need to. The most interesting thing to me is that they mentioned that the 10 parents who founded the guilds, none of them were human. Which is a detail we mostly knew, but it confirms that Simic, the parent of the Simic Combine, who we don't know anything about other than their name, was not a human, which means they're probably Elf or Vidalkin, or, you know, people have suggested because of their genetic engineering legacy, maybe they were an Elf-Vidalkin hybrid, but who knows? That's not in the book, that's fan speculation. We did get confirmation that Svogthir is a Divkaran elf, so the part of that dark elf group of bigots, basically, who ruled over the Gorgons and the Crawl, And that was also confirmed for the first time, although we highly suspected that he was an elf. This is now in writing somewhere in a place that you can read. So that's cool. That was a little bit muddied, considering his body was part of... This massive, since he was in Scissorum's body at one point when we first met him in the Ravnica books after Savra reanimated him, basically, and took him over. Another thing it mentions that we have potentially suspected is that it describes Mott Selesnia as the world soul of Ravnica, or at least the elemental is an avatar of the world soul. So that's something that Selesnian clerics have talked about like oh we're talking to the world soul and modern magic story over the last couple of years has solidified through Nissa that like world souls are a real thing that you can communicate with so the clarification that Mat Selesnia the elemental that lives in Vitu Ghazi is part of the world soul of Ravnica is really interesting because that solidifies the plane itself as aligned with a guild and started a guild. We've seen that different planes have different personalities. Zendikar is feral, but once it trusts you, is very affectionate and a powerful ally. We saw that Innistrad was very reclusive and angry and tainted. And Lorwyn was welcoming, but then Shadowmoor, as the Aurora happened, became, like, bitter and caustic. And Amonkhet was really angry and filled with death and not helpful at all. Really hated the living in, which was weird. And 
also just occurred to me, the three other times we've seen Nyssa try to talk directly to World Souls, it's been planes corrupted by black mana, which is weird. Although I guess Shadowmoor technically wasn't corrupted by black mana, but the feel of it is very black aligned. Anyway, Matsalesnia as Ravnica's World Soul is just interesting and fascinating to me. Gives them another reason to be elitist. Yeah. If you have a religious cult based around some super powerful deity, but the deity is actually real, I guess it does give you some clout to be elitist about it, because it's not like you're making up a god. Like, the god is real. You can go talk to her through Tristani. A cool thing about the Simic they have is that if you have a familiar or a pet or a mount, you can automatically, as a Simic scientist, roll to give them a mutation. A cool thing they do with the Krasis stat blocks is give minor mutations and major mutations, and you can either choose or roll up a Krasis with just different random mutations to create exciting monsters to fight. Being a Simic scientist means that if you own an animal, you can give them a mutation and have them be your little mutant friend, which is super cute. And really, like, imagine having a house cat and being able to just give it little crab legs. It's adorable. That's how they created, like, wiener dogs, ferrets, birds. I had a joke there going about how I'm scared of birds, but it's probably not funny to anyone but me. Are you scared of birds, though? You like vultures and crows. Oh, no, I mean, like, parakeets. After oh. one of them projectile shit into my eye, but that's only oh, funny wow. to me. Yeah, that's not cool. Bad parakeet. One thing I did want to mention about the Guildmasters guys is that it tells you a little bit about how a DM can choose to have your characters progress as they participate in your world. It gives you a mechanic as far as when they do something that would earn them any kind of renown with their guild, it gives you a, a set of abilities or achievements and ranks within each guild that they can acquire, and it gives them bonuses to where like maybe they get a, a set of people that are people or animals or something that they they're in charge of, or and it also increases the amount of wealth that they get if they're being paid by their guild or if they have a job within their guild. It also gives them a chance to get closer to the guild leaders at some point. That's very cool. It also gives them a chance to get different items. So it, it, in a way, gives you a chance to have your character actually have an impact in the world of Ravnica by interacting with some of these parents or suggest something to them or do something that would give them renown within the city of Ravnica. And I I found that to be really cool. And it makes world building or campaign building a little bit easier because it gives your character something they could potentially look forward to after they've built their character. It gives them a set of objectives of, hey, maybe I want to be a Selesnian Equinot, or maybe I want to be the personal advisor of Niv-Mizzet, or be on the Is Magnus, or uh, maybe I want to challenge Borborygmos, or something like that. And it's, uh, I found that to be really cool. It was cool to me, too, as someone who is not a D&D nerd, that 
it's something more than just like leveling up your character or following whatever campaign your DM puts together. It's not really like a level up track. It kind of is. It's like a whole separate stat that you can level up. And some of them have like ability trees. For example, in the Azorius, as you gain more renown, you can kind of choose which branch of law enforcement to go into. Like you can be a cop out on the streets or you can go into a path, maybe if you're a bard, to the elocutors, which... A lawyer, basically. Or you can go on the path of being a judge. The Boros one's really neat because it's the military, so you just rank up. But as you rank up through the Boros Legion, you become a superior officer to other troops. So the first rank, you get like a small little band. But like by the time you reach maximum renown in the Boros Legion, you have whole battalions at your command that not just give you the power to command all these other NPCs in the campaign, but from a DM's perspective, a Boros player with that much renown has a responsibility and are going to be receiving orders potentially directly from an angel to do missions for the Boros. So it's not all positive benefit. It's additional responsibility for the Boros too, which lets you make and create interesting decisions in a campaign setting. Like, do you even want to gain renown in your guild and get promoted? Do you even want that responsibility? When you have that responsibility, are you the kind of character who will eschew your campaign friends and your party members to maintain your guild's jobs? Or are you going to shirk your guild responsibilities to go adventuring? And like, what are the consequences for each of those? And it just it just creates so much more depth in this world and gives your characters a lot of different motives. And one thing that you touched on that I'm going to seize and go forward with a little bit more is that as much as there is positive renown, it does tell you that like you could potentially cause yourself to lose renown. So you could be like the angel in the Boros story that got 15,000 people killed. Like It can cause you to lose renown with your guild and get you benched and put back on a desk job or demoted. You can lose renown and have all those benefits stripped away and get you put back in the day job no matter how high level your character is that whole dynamic makes it really cool because as a dungeon master you can decide hey um, i'm going to put players in a situation where maybe they need to make a hard choice do they let this one person die or do they let thousands die or something like that how do they role play their way out of the situation or explain their reasoning to their guild leader to possibly get out of whatever consequences of their choices or actions would be. It's a really fun dynamic, and as a, as a dungeon master, it would make me really intrigued to see what the characters built into their, like, what their character backstories are, and try to decide how I'm going to make them drive toward their goal, their character's goal, and see what choices they make along the way that they'll probably have to roleplay around and explain themselves. So it's a really cool dynamic, and I, I really enjoyed reading about that in this book. For any new players who are listening to this and like coming up with your character that you want to play, there are ways to progress in your campaign and with your character other than fighting. So, for example, you've got Renown here and, you know, you can level without combat. Or, well, you will combat will happen, but you can level without just jumping into every single fight. So there's a lot of ways in this book for you to make a character who's not necessarily like 
a fighter or a warrior or someone who would do that so you can make that kind of peaceful character too there's just so many options this book is a roadmap to options not necessarily a guide for mechanics like jay mentioned earlier if you want to get into D&D, you're still going to need the basic player's handbook, some of which resources you can find online. Guildmaster's Guide really gives you the options you need to run a campaign in Ravnica and build characters in Ravnica, and if you're a DM, ways to screw with your players in Ravnica. For example, the renown for the Demir gets you more and more access to Lazav himself and gives you potentially the ability to assign and delegate your missions to other Demir agents. But the risk is that the higher up in the Demir chain you get, the more responsibility you have. And the more responsibility you have, the larger the consequences if you screw something up. So you can gain a lot of renown in the Demir, but if you mess up, you could have like Lazav himself hunting you to punish you and like kill you because you know too much. And all of a sudden, you're like a spy on the run in some Mission Impossible disavowed agent situation. There's just so much potential for all these things. The Gruul, you can go start your own clan if you want. And then you have to engage in, like, clan geopolitics in the Rubble Belt. There's so many cool things. I'm really excited to hear what people do with this. So I will put the call out now that... Anyone who is listening to our podcast who is already doing campaigns on Ravnica, tell us your cool stuff. Tell us the cool world-building things you are engaging with, the cool twists you're putting into campaigns if you're a DM, or some interesting character choices you've had to make if you're a player. We want to hear all that stuff. We post to Reddit, so anytime you see our threads on Reddit, those go up Monday mornings, you know, respond there. You can add us on Twitter, at the Cast, or find us on Tumblr, also at the Cast. Assuming Tumblr doesn't just burn up into oblivion and... And if the fact that this is just a character-building guide and will not tell you how to play the game is intimidating, don't be intimidated, just, you know, jump in. The kids from Stranger Things play D&D on their own. This is not really a difficult game. Yeah, and they're like 12. Granted, they also fight monsters. It's not a difficult game, and anyone can jump in and learn how to play as you go. So I encourage people who are not already into D&D, but really like Ravnica, to jump in and get this book. Make your character and get your friends doing it. You'll have fun. Yeah, and if you do get it and you love Ravnica, you get one of the tastiest treats of them all. A map of the 10th district. And the ten precincts inside. Ten precincts? I said that offhand, and I don't. I don't have the the books over at my girlfriend's apartment, so I don't have it in front of me right now. It, it is ten precincts. Six precincts in the tenth district. Point is, map. Like we have a full map of the tenth district with all the buildings and the major locations. My book isn't here yet. Is it something I can take out and put on my wall of maps? No, there is a map pack. I saw that on Amazon. Yeah, sold separately. I don't know if that has a big 10th district map on it. I also don't know who illustrated this map and if there will be a poster. If there's not a poster of this map, if anyone at Wizards is listening, we would like a poster of this map. We have ones for Ixalan and Dominaria now, and it would be neat. People like maps. There are some cool locations in the 10th district. 
notably around New Prov, which is the rebuilt Azorius headquarters after Old Prov got hit with a skyship. Oops, and exploded. There is a train station because, by the way, Ravnica has a magical subway system, which is awesome. The main hub is called Augustine Station, named for Augustine IV, the last Grand Arbiter before... I'm blanking on the current person's name, something the second. Anyway, Augustine was a character from the original Ravnica block, and the station's named after him. And outside the station is a statue of Agris Kos, the Boros Wojek, who was the main character throughout the original block. Which is just really funny to me because Augustine is the one who enslaved his spirit and tried to use it in a plot to write his own guild pacty thing and assert martial law where the Azorius ruled the whole plane. Augustine was a jerk, but Agris now has a big statue around all this Azorius stuff and it's historically problematic and I'm sure there are protests about that all the time. The maps show a lot of the main locations that we read about on the cards and in the stories. Basically, everything that happens on Ravnica takes place in the 10th district, even though there's like so much more city out there. It's like how almost every movie set in New York takes place in Manhattan and not anywhere else where all these millions of other people live. But same idea with the 10th district. So the map's cool. Jay left a note that... Precinct 4 is where the Shattergang brothers operate. They are a goblin gang, and Jay had to leave the podcast early this week. So if you like goblins as much as Jay, now you know where the Shattergang brothers operated. The last part of our podcast today about this book is it does give you a fairly good guide on how to create adventures in Ravnica. I give you a little starter campaign called Krinko's Way that puts you and your level one characters in a situation where they have to get in the middle of this basically turf war between Krinko and the Shattergang brothers and they find their way through it and it should level them to level two by the end of the campaign. The book also outlines different ways you can start an adventure if you don't want to do that by... Possibly if you're doing um, specific guilds, they tell you different guilds that have different uh, ways to start their adventure, be it a dungeon delve. It tells you what guilds are best for that. If you wanted to be in the wilderness, it gives you guilds that are best for that. Intrigue, mystery, disaster protection. It gives you all sorts of combinations of guilds that are good for those kind of entry points for a campaign. They also give you a couple ways to start a campaign if you do choose to have mixed guild parties. They tell you about different ways where maybe these characters were set up to work in some kind of coalition to resolve some kind of problem or some villain is out to get something and they're, they're the people of their respective guilds that are supposed to be uh, chasing down this villain for each guild's own individual reason. And it gives you a lot of different ways to do that. Another thing that we probably should have mentioned during the Guilds of Ravnica part is that it mentions when you're character building a way to make sure that your players might have a way to interact with different people in the guilds is you have a chance to roll for your contacts both from within and without from the outside of your guild. So that maybe they don't know something about something going outside their guild. They they could possibly have a contact outside. 
it's a very interesting way to make sure that if they ever hit a stumbling block and they don't really know what to do to proceed, that maybe they can have their contacts give them a pointer as far as where to go next. In closing, the book is very good. It has a lot of really cool stuff between all the character customizations and the descriptions of what could drive your characters or ways to keep people interested in certain achievements or following certain lines of action. It also has some really cool magical items that people from Magic the Gathering would identify. And creatures. There's a whole section of items and then they have a bestiary guide with stat blocks for monsters so simic sky swallower is one of those monsters it's pretty neat that sucker has a stat block it's scary and they also have stat blocks for the guild leaders i am kind of sad that they only chose the guild leaders and not necessarily the secondary legends that you might be able to recognize like there's no amara stat block she'd be an elf she would be but i feel like the way they propped her up in the story she was a little bit more than that but we'll see who knows And a lot of the items that they have are like actual magic cards too, like Illusionist Bracers is one, and Brian, one of your favorite equipments is in there too. Sunforger is really sweet. I love it, and it makes me want to build an Eldritch Knight just to play it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. We'll see what happens. But it makes the magic player in me really happy to see, because there are some really nice tie-ins. The stat blocks really stand up to scrutiny when you really think about what their magic cards are doing. For the creatures and the the magical items tie back to their cards fairly well. Things work the way you think they should work in most cases, so I like it. Yep. Me coming in as someone who's not familiar with D&D, this is really easy to follow. And it makes D&D really easy to follow if you already know all the magic stuff. One of the things that's kept me out of D&D is that it's this whole other IP with its own rules and world building that I just don't understand and don't know because I haven't played it. So I don't know any of it, which makes it that much more intimidating to me to dress it up as magic and use magic's flavor makes it so much more accessible for me. And from the response I've seen accessible to a heck of a lot of people out there so that's very exciting and the stuff that they've ported over behaves in D the way i think people would expect it to they've done a really neat job making sure that it still feels like ravnica in every sense of the word and every sense of the world building and the the species and the items and the spells like everything feels right which for D it's important from what i understand especially for fifth edition it's way more about the feel and the storytelling than like the game mechanics of rolling dice and stuff for someone who's new to D, Guildmaster's guide to ravnica really pulled it together in a way that i am very very excited about that is going to be it for this episode which means it's time for final thoughts. My final thought for this week is that I have finally attended PAX Unplugged here in Philadelphia. I'm from Philly. If y'all didn't know that, go gritty. I had a great time at PAX. Got to see a lot of internet folks that I don't get to see a lot. Got to meet a bunch of internet folks that I hadn't met in person before. Got to hang out with a bunch of friends, play a lot of Commander, see some really neat other games 
I got to learn the Transformers trading card game that Wizards and Hasbro just put out. It's neat. It's for children. The rules system is very simple, but I can see where there is strategic depth in it. So it's neat. If you have a chance to play it or purchase it, definitely check it out. It's pretty fun. Conventions are great. More people should go to them. They're a lot of fun. And hopefully next year, Jay won't bail on me and Carrie won't bail on me. And we'll get some more folks from the Fourth Oak cast here. We need the Georgia contingent here too. You can be in Philadelphia at the end of November. See how cold you get. <laughs> Brian, final thoughts. My final thought is I'm going to take you up on that. and I might have to try to make that trip next year. And also... I really want to play this book. I have not had a chance to play an Eradica campaign yet, so really looking forward to being able to do that here soon. But in the meantime, the Lorgoys are starting up a campaign of their own, so I'm really interested to hear that and also to remind people that Ruben Bressler is still doing his campaign with Ashen Rose and others. That's Ravnica, the Broken Pact, over on the D&D Twitch channel. This podcast has piqued your interest about the book, be sure to tune into them if you aren't already. Ashley, final thoughts. All right, I've got two final thoughts. The first one is uh, we are on our Discord server going to be doing a campaign with this book. I'm going to DM it. Yay, my first time DMing. I've been trying to come up with a campaign, but real life stuff has kind of pushed that back to a to be decided. If you're one of our patrons on Patreon and you're in the server, go ahead and make you a character if you're interested because we're totally going to be doing that my second final thought is annie's right here and she has been very loud so do you have anything to say annie now you're silent you want to play want to play that is the president and ceo of the vorthos cast annie the dog (coughs) there she is (coughs) i love you annie if you also love annie you can go to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and support our show. All your donations keep our show running and keep new episodes appearing in your computational devices Monday mornings every week. And we'd just like to thank everyone who supports us and listens to our program. This has been The Vorthoscast.